0: Hi and welcome to the Data-Driven Security Podcast, this is episode 16. My name is Jay Jacobson. and joining me is my co-host Bob Rudis. Bob, where have you or we been lately?
1: Uh, we were abducted and abused by aliens for the past three months, Jay. In order to produce some research. I I believe so, yeah. So we've we we we, to... we we have literally been, I think, all over the planet, it seems like at least between the coasts. We've been to well, you've been stuck in Minnesota for a while doing things, but we were at RSA, and I've been over here doing stuff, and we've been doing this little thing called the DBIR. Which we're going to talk about in great detail.
0: In yeah. That, that whole new light that we've we, never really talked
1: about. about. We are we, I think we're going to actually get spanked pretty hard in this particular episode by, by a, a very, very informed critic. And I think we should bring on said informed critic. I, I think so, too.
0: So we have a return guest to the podcast, Mr. Lane Harrison. Lane, welcome back.
2: Hey, good to be back.
0: And now, Lane, you are—you were a postdoc. Now you are a post-postdoc,
2: right? So I'm still a postdoc at Tufts University. That's where I'm—I'm I'm at now, uh, over here at Tufts at the Visual Analytics Lab. Uh, but soon I'm going to be uh, starting my own lab at uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute (WPI), just about an hour outside of Boston.
0: That is fantastic. Congratulations. That is really great. And you also do uh, VizSec and you're rather active in the whole visualization, especially around security, uh, the whole that whole community.
2: Yeah, so uh, we talked about VizSec a, a bit a few episodes ago, but for those that don't know, so VizSec is a Visualization for Cybersecurity Symposium. Uh, this will be the 12th VisSec coming up in uh, October 2015. Uh, VisSec brings together uh, researchers and practitioners who have an interest in both security and visualization. Uh, we typically have a, a few paper presentations throughout the day, a keynote, a poster session, uh, and it's centered around, you know, the the intersection between visualization and cybersecurity. How does visualization help cybersecurity? How can we evaluate it? And uh, you know, how how should it you know kind of take form in practice? Uh, so. We have the the CFPs, the call for papers up on the site now, visec.org, will be uh, co-located with IEEE Vis, which is the uh, kind of the top tier uh, academic visualization conference uh, out in Chicago. So I invite anyone to submit papers or uh, send us questions. We're at visec on Twitter, not very active, but we just got a a social media person, so that's going to be taken off soon.
0: And that's going to be end of October, right, this year?
2: Yep, so October 25th through 30th uh, in Chicago with the IEEE Viz conference. That's fantastic.
0: That'll be really exciting.
1: Hey, may, 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 maybe you and me can bunk with Reutman,
0: Jay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we should we should figure something out there. Try to actually make it to that one. Even if we don't present Bob or anything, we should at least go and just be regular people at a conference. Wow. I wouldn't. Wow. Uh, regular people. Wow. We could and be. We like, go to sessions and stuff.
1: And actually learn something for a change. Yeah, we can. Yeah, hope.
0: maybe we could try. We could see how that works out.
1: That's true. Don't skip out like the rest of us.
0: Right. So the the real reason though that we have were there other things we were going to talk about? I can't remember the agenda. Um,
1: I I think it would also be kind of cool if people. So how how public is that other resource that you you told us about?
2: You mean the uh, the interface to Visec? Yeah. Yeah, so that's public. Uh, It's vissec.dbvis.de, and uh, uh, Fabian Fisher, so a longtime contributor to VisSec, has put together a sort of interface to all of the papers uh, in VisSec over the past 12 years. So if you're interested in visualizations for firewalls, you would type in firewalls and get a list of papers that mention that in either the title or the abstract and a link to where you can find the paper uh, some of them are publicly available. You can Google uh, and, and usually find some of them or contact the author. Uh, but, you know, a, as things go, some of these are pro- still behind paywall. So, uh, But it's a really great interface. I find it super useful if I'm trying to to figure out what people have done in terms of, uh, you know, BGP and that sort of thing. It's really great to have all of the papers there together uh, with figures, abstracts, everything. Uh, it, it's a good way to, to kind of package up the conference and the you know, carry it around with you.
1: So actually I'll, I'll phrase it a slightly differently. So this is a cornucopia of like the best of the best of what you can possibly hope for in security visualization. And like, I would implore all the listeners to get all, since if you're listening, you don't already create pie charts and donut charts, you know better. So like give this site to all your like security friends who actually do still create those abominations of nature and let them see what real security is look like. Cause this is pretty amazing stuff.
2: So Yep. Yeah. We'll tell you that you know it, it's it's peer-reviewed stuff. It's fun it's good stuff. It's it's good but stuff. But keep in mind, it's been going on for twelve years now. So if you go all the way back twelve years ago, you're going to get some uh, some weird things. That was pre-D3 pre-processing days. So <laughs> who knows what you'll find in the archives?
1: And and actually, just real, so people probably know what D3 is, but um, if, if you don't, then you you sh- you should you should read our book because we talk about it. Uh, processing is an alternate library that. Is used actually, I think, more for animations and more for sequencing and really was was originally intended for journalists, but it's actually just gotten a major update to V5, and uh, processing is, in its own right, um, a nice contender with D3 to do some pretty amazing stuff. So if you're looking for for JavaScript frameworks to do pretty amazing visualizations, both are really great to check out, but you should definitely look at the latest rev of processing. It's pretty cool stuff.
2: Yeah, the great thing about processing is so easy to get started, and uh, processing also works at scale because you have the hardware acceleration underneath. So if yeah. you had a massive, massive data set, that's one of the ways you can go.
1: Yeah, and uh, like processing also has a nice IDE and other stuff associated with it. Where D3, you're kind of left to your own devices or some other stuff to help out there. So it's like really, it's it's, it's just good stuff to check out, guys. So.
0: Yeah. Can we get to our main topic?
1: So the real reason why Lane's on, yes, go Jay.
0: The real reason that he's on is because uh, Bob and I worked on the data breach investigations report through our job at Verizon, and uh, we asked Lane to take a look at our work and provide some feedback, Um, and hopefully some of it may be good, hopefully some of it may challenge us, and and hopefully we might all learn something here, and that's what I'm really hoping for, that we have a, a good discourse. So we can go through, should we just, let's just start with figure one. Can we just jump right into this, guys, and talk about figure one?
1: I think so. And and actually, people, we are not doing a video blog of this, or vlog, or whatever the cool kids call it these days. This is a, we will mention the figure numbers, and you'll just have to page along with the DBIR. And if you,
0: We could describe the visuals, though.
1: Well, we describe it, but like the, they, they can follow along with the actual PDF copy on their own. So. Right.
0: And we can talk about how these came about, and the data sources, and things like that, and... Cool. Hope we get some context around them.
2: Yeah, let's do it. All right. So let's talk about this, uh, this map, <laughs> figure one, figure one. Uh, let's see. So figure one uh, looks like a map of victim demographics. Um, you know, you have got a, a, a core plus map here with some of the countries highlighted, some of them not. So I guess the story here is that you're just trying to say, you know, who's been affected over the past year and, uh, where you have data from? Is that true? Yep.
1: I think that's accurate. Yeah.
2: yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So the the projection of this map uh, looks pretty interesting. Um, you know, as you interesting. know, interesting. interesting.
0: You that's know, the... code for it's weird. How how's that projection, Bob? Do you like that projection?
1: I I think that's a fine projection, Jay. What what is wrong with the projection, Jay?
0: nothing i just know that you so you get all hyped up about projections and when something is in a weird projection i know that you like to to provide feedback often uh
1: at length so so you have a problem with malawide is that what i'm is that what i'm hearing
0: is that what this is
1: that is the malawide projection yep
0: okay did you Mm -hmm. get the pronunciation right
1: I, I actually got the pronunciation right
0: there. I don't know. I was actually asking. I,
2: I expect no less. <laughs> well, at least it's on Mercator projection, and, uh, you know, it, it looks good overall. I mean, it's it's weird to me that, you know, it looks like the United States is kind of italicized along with Australia. Is that a
1: function yeah, of this so, projection? So, so, so the one thing that, the one violation of cartography, the rules of cartography that I did is when you whenever you're doing a non-flat projection of the planet, you're supposed to put a, a circle and basically basically the oval around what the actual projection is and we did not put the oval in the report for artistic reasons. So, hmm. and, and now with that mental oval, you know,
2: encapsulating this, now it makes sense because it's yeah. curved. Yep. Right. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So figure two is a table. Uh, let's talk about the table too. Uh, so, so it's a, uh, so can you tell me about the table? You guys are the experts on the data. Sure, I'll yeah. Go, ah, so this
0: table, it's, it's looking at um, the demographics. So we have the industry along the left. And then we've got two different types of, of filters that we apply to the data. The first is what we call incidents, and those are all of the incidents everywhere, uh, which may or may not include loss of data, may include loss of availability, things like that. Um, and the, the other one on the right side is confirmed data loss. So this is what we title as breaches. And breaches where uh, law there is data that has been compromised, the confidentiality has been compromised, and so either it's been copied or viewed or somehow compromised the the uh, confidentiality. And so we also have we break down small and large organizations, and that's under a thousand employees and over a thousand employees for large. And that's where we delineate the, the size of the the corporation. And as I'm looking at that, I don't think that's clearly labeled
2: at all. Yep, that's a good point. <laughs>
0: We we're kind of uh, lacking on defining small and large. There. I know it's in the text. We'll talk about it in the text.
2: Well, yeah, if it's in the text, I think that's overall okay, right? These these are meant to flow with the text and tell part of the story. So right. I, So the, the comment that I had on the table, though, it's, you know, it's overall designed well. Um, you know, I, I generally question the use of the, the zebra stripes, though. Um, you know, I'm not really familiar with uh, too many studies that look at, at this in depth, uh, but, color is typically something used for categories, and uh, it can be difficult for people to actually do comparisons. You know between the the grayed out ones and the and the white ones directly. Um, yeah. Somebody like Tufty might recommend chunking these together and maybe you know ordering them by or you know uh, kind of what the uh, I guess you could by industry you could kind of put some of these close together right there's like a, a, a level of hierarchy above that and instead of ordering them alphabetically which can be good if you need to search through a table order them by semantics and then a person can do comparisons within the chunk uh, that could that could be a fun way of you know in, improving a table and just making it something that stands alone yeah uh, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I rant about zebras.
1: No, actually, that I, I think that's a really great, great, great comment to make about it, and um, may, maybe a little in, in inside baseball with the report. So it's not just Jay and I doing things at a whim. We we right. work with the with a graphics production team. I believe this is iteration seven for this table, if I'm not mistaken, Jay. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, believe it or not, like this, like, so, like the we like we actually do work with a team, and they're actually really, really, really they're they're fun to work with, and they do yeah. really good stuff. Um, and, but you know, we, we do have that as a, as a, as a, you know, compensating factor. And I will agree that perhaps there's a little more chart junk on the table than there probably needs to be. And Absolutely. you
0: know what, as soon as you said the zebra stripes, that's all I can see in this table now. Yeah.
2: Like
1: yeah. that
0: is all I'm seeing is these zebra stripes. Thank it's, you for that, Lane. It could be good table.
2: to have, I mean, it's an easy, you know, de- design thing, but we need to think further, you know, about our tables and, and how we can design them, you know. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Cool. Moving on to another fun one. I mean, we don't have to go through everyone, but Figure Three is definitely uh, remarkable, and uh, we should talk about it. Um, so this this is a, a. I'm not really sure how to to call. It. This is not a stacked. It is a stacked area chart. Is that what?
1: you could so, call it that? So so the actual technical term for this is a 100% scaled uh, stream graph.
2: Stream graph, okay. Yeah, I was, I was thinking theme river at the same time. We have lots of different words for these things. Yeah. But so, so this one is interesting to me. Um, really, the first question that came to mind is how many observations are actually in the data? Uh, whenever you have them smoothed out like this, um, you know, 2010, 2011, are those the only places that you actually have observations? Or you actually do? You have observations in between the years too, because I know some of the later graphs have observations, you know, at the halfway mark.
0: Right. And the the challenge we had here is that these stream graphs are actually interactive when we generate them. This is actually from a package you wrote, Bob. Yep. Right? It's our package. And when you mouse over and you mouse over the year, like if you're in the external actor section 2013, you get a little pop-up that says, or it's not a pop-up, it's in the upper right or something like that, but it says what is the value for that at that point. And so actually, and I think you can add other stuff in there, Bob, can't you?
1: You can, yeah, and but but to your point, Lane. So this is actually discrete points at the individual year level that are then smoothed out with with the actual stream. So, yep, yeah. right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So overall, I mean, you're just showing a part-to-whole relationship over time, and uh, you know this is an effective chart for that. Uh, I think the the question came, you know, whenever you have a report like this you look at charts later on and then you kind of wonder like oh you know is it different the chart that i saw two slides ago or is it you know or two pages ago or uh, uh, is it you know the the same so uh so yeah this one is fun i'm glad you didn't do you know five pie charts here which you <laughs> right. could have done
0: <laughs> yeah that that was an easy decision, actually, to, to avoid that.
1: Uh, I don't know. Has has he seen the original, like, the inaugural DBIR? Because, like, there was a ton in there. So Yeah,
0: so actually, let, let me interject something. So we did work, as you said, Bob, with this company. But this company, uh, most people who do this type of thing, they're in business, and they generally do really flashy brochures, one-page things, ad campaigns. And so their their brain is geared towards flashy and grab attention and draw the eye here, you know, which is sometimes at odds with data visualization where you don't need to put your eye to specific things. And, you know, the first version would have, like, icons all over the place. And, you know, some really uh, creative uh, things that they put in there, they took a lot of liberties. And so it was kind of paring down and getting at some of the more trying to get it to serious database kind of stuff.
1: Or, or, or just trying to get labels on the inside versus hanging on the outside, maybe, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was a huge challenge Yeah. partner internal and external.
1: Yeah, we, we actually, believe it or not, there was a multi-week battle over where those labels went. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've run into the exact same thing with
2: a very similar chart recently. And uh, our, our audience is very different. So these are all, you know, men who are over 80. And uh, we're trying to figure out where the optimal positions for the labels are. It's, it's always fun. Yeah. So uh, just a comment on the, the general design of the pages here. Something I really like though is the text in red on the right. It kind of you know sets the the frame for the entire page. It's kind of a, a tweet summary of you know what you should be getting from the chart generally. Uh, so that's really useful. That you know you don't have to read the entire text to get what's going on. You can just read this you know kind of label on the right and then look at the chart and you know you, you kind of have it backed up with data then. So.
0: Right, yeah. And the challenge is that some of these call-outs were, they, the uh, marketing folks pulled those out, and some some of them they pulled out of context.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so you were like, we, like one of them, the impact section, we had to go back and edit and uh, and change it because it was so out of context. It made it look like the section was saying something completely different than what we intended it to. So. Yeah,
2: it can be really difficult. I mean, it's definitely difficult later on when we get into the more complex graphs, too. Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, moving forward, figure four, it's another uh, you know, stacked, stacked string graph, I believe was the, the term that it, you know, you're, you're calling it here. Um, yeah, I think this one is good too. Uh, you got the labels on the inside and uh, it tells a story. But moving on to, to figure five, this is a really interesting one. Um, you, you have comparisons between uh, you know, the, the run over time, you have a trend line. Who, who's claiming responsibility for this one?
0: I, I, will, uh, I will take this one. Actually, this one was created in last year's report, and uh, it carried over to this year. And part of the challenge that we had these vertical lines, we're talking about the defender detection deficit one, where we have the time to compromise and the time to discover. And uh, last year we didn't have these vertical lines in there. And another guy that we worked with, Wade Baker, noticed that this year was probably the smallest ever and he said we should call that out really emphasize that forty five percent this year. And so I, I drafted up this version and, and he liked it. And so this is what we went with. So your your feedback on that one late.
1: Wait, we're blaming Wade? Like you're you actually know, throwing he, Wade out
0: He just wanted something in there to to note that it was the shortest time ever. And mm-hmm. I'm the one that came up with these vertical dotted dots okay. in there. Gotcha. So go ahead, Lane, hit me with your best shot.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I kind of like this one because it, it intrigued me enough to start reading about why. You know, so this is a, a, a you can't really get the takeaway from the graph itself. Uh, but you wonder why, you know, there's a 45% there and what's the story behind the graph. So this actually, you know, kind of led me to read the text and to get the story that's going on here. Um, the, the trend line is fine over time. Um, you know, a, a person might be interested in that. Uh, you know, it's it tells a different story, right? It tells you that, you know, things are sort of not really coming together. It seems like they're coming apart if you look at the trend line. But you had a really good year this year, so maybe that trend line will change. You kind of have to dig into the, the the data and what it's saying to figure that out. I think one of the the confusing parts about this graph, though, is that you have the percentages in the middle, and that you have also the percentages on the left side. So, kind of reconciling that in my head took a, a minute or two. Um, but it, yeah, it's definitely difficult to do. Yeah, um, actually,
1: cool I yeah, actually, I was going to ask because like you, you you mentioned a couple of things already, and and Jay's touched on a couple of things. I'm wondering so so far, like for the past couple graphs, interactive seems like it would have been a much better. Venue for some of these things to communicate what's actually going on versus a static image. With, like I, I'm just curious yeah. if, what, what your thoughts are on that.
2: Mm. That's 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 a really good question for a, a viz researcher who's trying to figure out the you know the role of interaction and in visualization and the value that it brings and does it actually cause people to think more about the data or change their hypotheses and that sort of thing. And to tell you the truth, we don't know. Uh, because interactive data viz on the web, you know, is kind of a new thing, and we've only studied them in very narrow cases, so we can't say anything in general uh, about the value of interaction. But it would be really interesting to figure that out. Uh, it, you know, if I had to guess, I would say that people would interact with these. Um, but whenever you start to move from static to interactive, uh, we need affordances, right? So with this, you know, line chart in particular, I'm not sure where I would mouse over first. Uh, and, and and what's going to be there? Typically, with a time chart, you kind of have those bubbles uh, along each of the observations that you know you can mouse over and maybe get more details, a tooltip, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but you actually have to change the design here. So you have got a competition between you know the, the creatives and the people who want to have interactions and affordances and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think with this chart, especially, and with many of the charts that you have over time. Uh, I I like to see the annotations to kind of put the, you know, the major events and stories in context. Uh, Because whenever you see a big change, you know, maybe you can tie it to, you know, some some big change in the industry or uh, some some big breach or something like that. I think later on we get into that too.
0: And, you know, it's interesting actually as you say that, and I hadn't really made this connection, but in 2009, starting in 2009, 2010 and 11 definitely, where it's peaking here on the top we saw that shift in point of sale to smaller victims and a lot, there were a lot more uh, smaller retail victims for point of sale and restaurants and and hotel chains and things. And so I think that's probably what we're seeing because they were really, really fast attacks. You know, they, they were automated, they were hitting, you know, default creds and guessable creds. I bet that's why we're seeing that peak in there.
2: It's super interesting. I, I would be interested to know how you know that and how you could lead someone else towards that discovery through an interactive viz. Um, yeah. It seems like it would be really complicated, but if you had a, a total interface to all of this data, that could be really
0: interesting. Yeah. I and think Bob's up we'll for the that. task. That's like eight different visualizations
2: to get that whole story in there, but yeah, definitely. Yep, absolutely. You're, you're an expert of the data, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're good on that one? Yeah. Oh, I'd be right. afraid if we talk about this next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're hitting a lot of them just in a row here because they're they're changing rapidly. And uh, Figure six is a, a matrix diagram. Uh, can yeah. one of you explain what's going on here?
0: Yeah. So this actually this you know tried a couple of different things here, uh, and this is actually what was recommended by Alex Pinto. I think did he recommend this or did you, Bob?
1: Alex actually generated the initial graphic uh, based My that graph. this that this is based on. Yep.
0: Okay. So what these are, this is a, a comparison of uh, basically a list of, what, 40 feeds or 50 feeds or something like that? Yeah. And um, so it's the same feeds on the X and the Y, and it's just doing how much – so these feeds have, you know, some number of indicators on there. And what it's trying to do is say, what is the crossover? How much from one feed is on another feed? Hmm. Um Yeah. So I mean, it's just saying like, and and there's two different kinds. There's inbound indicators mean that people are coming into your network versus outbound, trying to exfiltrate data or contact a home or something like that. Um, And so that's why we have the inbound versus the outbound.
1: Yeah. So, so Lane, what you're probably used to seeing similarly to this would be one of those um, like heat map diagrams with like the the hierarchical cluster on the outside of it, like, you know, basically more scientific oriented than, you know, visually oriented. Gotcha, gotcha.
2: Yeah, so this was one of the first ones where I really had to start thinking about what's going on and what's the story in the data that's,
0: Which is a good thing when it comes to visualizations, right? You <laughs> kind of want the visual to do the thinking for you. Right? The, the,
2: the obvious thing for you, right? Maybe you right. could just show it as, you know, a, a bar chart or something and, and tell the same thing. But I think the matrix diagram, you know, overall is very interesting. Um, if you had, uh, you know... It, I guess maybe individual feed names or something like that. That could be really interesting to see what correlates with what. Um, so it, w- one thing that's interesting here, what I wanted to ask about, it's not symmetric. So right. is there is that mentioned in the text? And you know, it's, as
0: it's not. I don't think it's mentioned okay. at all. And okay. The whole thing is like, uh, and I can't remember which way it goes, but uh, this how many of this feed is in that feed? So it's not a symmetric thing. Mm-hmm. One feed may have ten, and, and the other one, and the other one may have a hundred. That's you know, it's not it, there, gotcha. and it's a population thing,
2: right? Well, it's interesting that you know, in some places it is symmetric, especially around this diagonal. It's not perfectly symmetric, but there is some reciprocation. It it seems so. Yeah, uh, that's super interesting, and uh, you know, the I really like the. The ordering and that you have the inbound on the left side, which is obviously telling some sort of story. I think just to change this, and you know, kind of from a design perspective, you have a lot of white space that's available. Um, you know, you probably wouldn't hurt the chart too much to have a few annotations inside um, oh, okay. to to kind of guide the reader as to what's going on. But I mean, overall, I thought this was great that using a matrix diagram, um, just because they're super interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a way of representing a network in general so yeah I'm yeah, not actually, totally I, against it
1: I, I, I actually really I love that advice though so far like the annotations to help the storytelling within the actual chart itself I think we were so focused on getting the visualizations out and making sure they were at least visually attractive after working with the graphics people that that probably was a a secondary and often not thought about thing by us. And I really think you're right that that, I mean, and and we're doing this not just because we want you to talk about the report, but this is also to help other folks design stuff. And I'm kind of wondering for this if maybe that's something that folks need to take to heart. It's like, you know, don't be afraid to annotate the, the charts.
2: Absolutely. I mean, whether it's static or interactive, uh, it's always great to say, look at this, right? This is the story. And then, you know, especially with interactives, you can just hide the annotations later on and and let the person discover their own story. Uh, But especially with a complex visualization, if you say, hey, you should be looking at this. Uh, it's, a, it's a really great way to you know, engage the reader, and it, it kind of teaches them how to read the chart, too. You're saying, look at this, this is what it's telling you, and maybe they can use that you know, mental framework to apply it to other parts of the chart. Yeah. So keep exploring the matrix diagram space. That's super interesting. Um, let's see, figure seven, just a table. Is there anything interesting there? It's a heat map on the table. I mean, there's some of those in the, in the report here, so. Yeah. Um, in general, the the color scale here, any comments on that? Did, yeah, there, oh, no, I have a on do? the color scale. Okay, yeah.
0: Um, but we're, we're going to try and keep this clean. But the uh, every year there's a certain number of battles that we have to fight. And every year, one of the battles is around the, the colors that are chosen for the report. And oftentimes, what we run into is that they want to use the approved, you know, corporate brand colors. And when you try to limit some of these visualizations to this uh, rather limited and and logo-based color palette, yeah. it, uh, it drives me crazy. And uh, this year, we did not win that battle. And so this, this is like, what do they call it? Bob? The tertiary palette? Yeah. Something?
1: So so I I'll be a little. So Jay's being really nice here. So I I I personally gave in. To the use of the tertiary palette in the for, for the primary part portions of most of the graphics, um, because there were other battles that needed to be fought, and at least with giving into that one, it would enable the use of other things in other places. So it was basically it was for me it was a calculated give up, for, for or relent versus right. for, for other stuff. So
0: and really gotcha. now, Lane, I, I want to run this by you because one yeah, thing sure. that I've I've talked about with color palettes is like, and I think maybe Tufty said this is that first like first do no harm.
2: Okay. Like yeah. You just, he did say
0: that. You don't. You don't like for a color palette. Like if you're just not screwing up with a color palette, that's pretty good, you know. And then above that, anything you do above that is like you know icing on the cake. But like first, you just want to focus, and that's what I've tried to do here. Is like really just try to get out of the quagmire of color palettes and just make it not suck.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, there there is color here, and it helps the person parse the table. Uh, and the, the color is not wildly inaccurate, so that's that's not doing much harm. Um, but I hear a butt coming. No, 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 there's not too many butts here. Uh, you know, it, it's helpful to really look at your data distribution whenever you're kind of designing the the the, 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 ta- uh, the color boundaries here. So 87.5% is the same color as 50.9%.
0: Yep, and that was actually a conscious choice.
2: Okay, <laughs> so, so anything over 50% is the, the highest? Is that how it is? No, no, actually. Oh, no, it's not true. We did, it,
0: we did it per row. Okay. Because we wanted to show uh, essentially the, the highest number in a per row got the thickest, the, the darkest value. Gotcha. So the point was to say where are the hot spots For each community, each row is one community. Uh So we wanted to say, where are the hotspots for that community? So like on the first one, you've got 35.9%, about the same shade as 33%. And we're saying in that community, they're split pretty evenly across these things. So that your eye can say, where are the dark spots? Go to those spots. And you can see it's mainly IP addresses, and you get some hosts in there
2: as a secondary. That's super interesting. Now that I know... Now that I know how to read it, this this is really interesting. So I wonder, you know, so that wasn't clear to me. I'm just thinking, okay, this is a heat map, and everything is colored, you know, using the same color scale. But it's per row, as you're saying. I mean, I I wonder if there's a way to teach the reader, you know, how to read this chart, maybe by using just one of the rows above and saying, like, first looks like this, second looks like this, and so on. There's probably a, a really concise way to teach the person how to read it um, without resorting to text and that sort of thing uh, within the table itself. Yeah. Uh, th- that's generally a good way to go. But The yeah, this is really interesting now that, you know, I, I kind of see how, how it works.
0: <laughs> and so the heat map, though, is intended to do that, to draw the IN. Where, where are the hotspots for communities? How are they distributed across these different types of, of indicators?
2: Absolutely. And color is the perfect way to do that, right? So don't use size or anything like that. I'm I'm sure somebody's tried to make that mistake before. Uh, Color, you know, really draws the eye. A person can process it super well. So uh, this this is overall a good way to go. I mean, we can get into really the nitty gritty of color, you know, scales and, you know, how how different the lightest blue is from the next lightest blue. But, (laughs) Um, I'll just direct uh, the listeners to, you know, Joseph Albers' Interaction of Color is a good place to start uh, uh, if you're really interested in getting your color theory down. I'm making a
0: note of that. <laughs> Albers, was it? Albers what?
2: Uh, interaction of Color. I have it up here. Interaction. Yeah, interaction of Color. I didn't know if there was an S on that. Okay.
0: Okay. Where to next?
2: Uh, let's see, so we should probably keep moving, you know, we should skip over a few, otherwise we'll be here for a very long time. Right. Uh, so I, I like this, the figure eight days on list, I just thought that was super interesting, that, you know, generally one day on the list was, you know, very, very high. Um,
0: and we debated about making that a sentence, you know, because, I mean, that's really what we're saying there, is... Um, Essentially, what you just said—you know, one day on the list is very high. They're they're often on the list for one day.
2: Well, you know, I feel like this is a result that you come back to in some of the later charts, and you're kind of harping on this for a while. So uh, that's kind of interesting to have that there and to show this kind of the distribution, right? So uh, a person kind of knows how how it goes. So there's nothing bimodal going on here. So cool. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So moving on down to. Figure nine domains per month. This is pretty easy. A line chart count. Yeah. I mean, is there anything special going on here? <laughs> you, not just... at all. <laughs> so that's a, a a good effective use of the viz. Um, let's see. Figure ten was interesting to me uh, since you know I, I have a paper looking at vulnerability visualizations. We use the CVE. Um, so this uh, this entire section actually vulnerabilities was really interesting. Um, so you going to figure 11, uh, you're talking about the... So th- this is where it gets interesting because I feel <laughs> like the the visualizations in this section are so coherent. Um, the, even though I didn't really read the text in, in, in detail, I felt like I was getting a story just by looking at each of these in turn. Uh, nice. So it was nice. really interesting how, how that was done. Um, and it was... Uh, Let's see, figure 11, figure 12. So, can you explain the differences between these two in a, in a concise yeah. way?
0: So, so I mean, figure 11 is looking at the top 10 CVEs that were exploited. And one thing we didn't do is do any sort of in depth analysis of, of the CVEs themselves. We were taking the data that, that we got from RiskIO and Michael Reutemann, Reutemann mm-hmm. with this section. Um, and it was his data that we were going through here. And, uh, I mean, these are the top 10 that were exploited. And we're showing essentially the the percentage of everything that was exploited that the top 10, really the top four, covered the majority of things that were exploited. So, I mean, just from from a, a notion perspective, just saying, hey, there's some of these, like, mega vulnerabilities, right, that are just completely scanning the Internet, looking for these weaknesses and exploiting them. And as people have read this and dove into these particular CVEs, they're largely pretty dumb. You know, I think, Bob, what, they're mostly, what,
1: oh, there's of uh, they, service? And they're... Yeah, they're, 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 there's a couple config exploits. There's a couple denial of service. There's some that only affect gambling sites. Yeah. They haven't have been updated in seven years. Um, yeah, so, yeah.
0: So, so I mean, the, some of these CVs, they're just absolutely ridiculous and, you know. It...
2: Gotcha. But yeah. they are being exploited, but just because they're just low-hanging fruit, very easy for people to get to.
1: Right, yeah. And, 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 and for the types of organizations that are in the kind of corpus for for, for risk iO2 you know the one thing about the these two graphics is that if this was a scientific paper we would have just said like the you know this the CDF of blah 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 and like it w- we wouldn't have probably bothered talking at all so like I, I think one thing that's interesting about this is these are not typical Graphs that the average infosec practitioner is going to actually come across in, and pretty much any time d- during the doing anything. So, this was kind of a risk for us to even do this because we don't normally talk about things like you, you know, since they're not used to seeing stuff in those terms. This was, yeah, this was I think a risk for us to actually put in there because it really isn't something that they're used to seeing.
2: Really, so that's interesting to me. Um, the, you, so generally you just talk about these in terms of stats, so the cumulative distribution well, we're function, we're that to sort to... of thing.
0: We try to keep it more simple. In past years, we've tried to keep, like, I think, what, 90% last year was a bar chart? Yep. Um, And this is the first year, and we had a lot of discussions about, you know, um, how are readers going to interpret this? Are they going to understand? Because, I mean, these are cumulative probability functions, right, the the plots. Mm -hmm. And so the discussion was, are they going to understand what that means? You know, so, like, the second one, figure 12, where we're plotting, how many weeks after a CVE was published and what proportion of those CVEs were exploited? Mm-hmm. You know, so within the first four weeks, what, about 50% or so? Half of them are exploited in the first four weeks in the first month, right? And then it, it tapers off, and it's a much slower gradual increase for the rest of them. Right. Um, and I mean looking at that, we can say that and it's you, you can say, Oh, I totally understand that graphic now, but we had a lot of discussions about are people gonna be able to interpret that just by looking at these plots.
1: And and actually as an aside, we we actually elected to not use similar graphics in the phishing section, even though we had some of those. We actually we, we, we tweaked those down to a sentence as an example oh, wow. because because we didn't need we really didn't need to show the graphic for it.
2: Right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Do they also do they follow a similar distribution where it just tapers off after four weeks? Or...
0: No, the the ones in the in the phishing section were a little different because uh, we actually those are you are talking about the simulated ones, Bob? Right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, we did a uh, it's a binomial distribution, um, a proportion, like a, what was it, 11% of users will click on an attachment. Right. And so we did it, you know in previous years we had this chart in there as well, Bob, where we said, you know, if you send, and it was, if you send two emails, what is the probability at least one person will click? If you send three, four, five, ten emails, what is the probability that at least one of those ten will click? Right? Given that the probability is 11% or something, and of course you send 10 emails and it's getting up to about 90% click rate on that. So wow. that at least one of those 10 will click. And I, and presenting that in years past, that does take a while for people to interpret. Right. Like I had to explain it, and and sometimes talk slowly through it, and try to explain what that means. And most people get it. I mean, it's it's not rocket science here. It's not very complicated. But just it, it's not an intuitive thing, I think, for people to talk about cumulative probability.
2: Understand? Yeah. So uh, even worse if we get into conditional probability. Um, yeah. That's an no open problem in visualization on how to present, you know, sort of Bayesian reason problems and that sort of thing. So, which are all too common. I'm sure you guys are familiar with them if you're dealing with risk and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, it's everywhere. So, uh, if, if you have any ideas, be sure to send them to the, the conference over here. We're looking. <laughs> it's very difficult. I mean, it, it, it turns out that some of these problems that you're talking about um, really tax a person's working memory. Uh, and, you know, kind of the, all of their mental resources to, to kind of understand what's going on where we you're talking about prob- probability and probability distribution functions and, you know, what, what types of inferences they can make from that. Uh, so it's very interesting from the psychology side uh, and, you know, how can we design visualizations or interactions or sequences um, such that a person can understand it. Uh, it's a really interesting open problem. Um, that could you know in, in a few years maybe you'll see that in this report
0: and i think that we will stop this podcast here and we will continue on the next episode episode 17 where we'll have the second half of this discussion so be sure to to come back for that one and uh, we'll continue the discussion there